In the sermons over the last now several months, we have focused primarily on the Old Testament lessons. And I have tried my best to demonstrate, uh, to convince you of the relevance of the Old Testament, that its primary subject matter is the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus is present in the Old Testament, both typologically and actually. That old, in the case of the Old Testament, does not mean obsolete, because the Old Testament scriptures are just that, scripture. And all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is given by inspiration of God and is therefore profitable, leading us toward perfection in Christ. And the Old Testament is perfected in Christ. It's fulfilled in and by him. And so it is opened up and it's illuminated for the church. The so-called Old Testament is not irrelevant for her ch- the church and her members. On the contrary, the Old Testament was written for the church. The events, like the one we just heard, the golden calf incident, those events were recorded for the express purpose of building up and edifying the church so that we might apply the scriptures to our lives. St. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 10. In reference to the Exodus story, to the Israel story, he writes this. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He goes on, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul there is quoting from today's Old Testament lesson. Exodus chapter 32, verse six. He's referencing the golden calf incident. And then he goes on in that same chapter to give other examples from Israel's history, commenting that these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Us on whom the end of the ages has come. The story of Israel is the story of the church. And the events in Exodus were recorded so that by grace we might avoid their mistakes. That we might not fall into idolatry. That we as the spirit-filled people of God might be faithful rather than faithless. That we might hear, that we might hear and heed the voice of God's servants, and enter into the wedding banquet. That is the blessed age 
to come. Again, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says to us, do not be idolaters as some of them were. In Exodus chapter 32, Israel fell into idolatry. And it's important for us to understand the kind of idolatry they engaged in. They did not identify, nor did they worship, the golden calf as a deity distinct or separate from the Lord. As a deity beside or above the Lord. The golden calf, though likely modeled after an Egyptian deity, was for them an image of Yahweh, an image of the Lord. They worshiped the golden calf as if it were the Lord. The people say, this is Exodus 32, 4. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's not that they, in an intellectual or rational way, forgot what had happened just 90 days ago. Oh yeah, it was actually this Egyptian bull-like deity, Apis or whomever. Also Aaron, poor Aaron, Moses' brother, eventual high priest, the second in command, Moses is gone and people are looking to him for leadership. He, he, he gives in to the mob. In verse 5, he invokes the divine name. And he says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. He doesn't invoke some other God. So their idolatry is not that they're worshiping another God. It's that they're worshiping the true God wrongly. That they're worshiping a false image of God. They're worshiping an idol as if it is the Lord. In today's gospel, the man without the wedding garment represents one who would want to attend the wedding while rejecting the bridegroom. In part, it represents a person who wants to enter into the kingdom of God on his or her own terms. In Exodus 32, they're worshiping the Lord on their own terms. They're worshiping their idea of Yahweh, of the Lord. They attempt to fashion the Lord into their own image, as it were. And their perverse worship of the true God becomes a vehicle by which they pursue their own ends and seek to satiate their carnal desires. And I would contend that this kind of idolatry is far more blasphemous, far more dangerous, far more insidious than if Israel had taken up worshiping a different deity altogether. 
It's one thing to reject the Lord outright and to worship another God, another person, another thing. I mean, that's not good. It's a clear violation of the first commandment. It's a clear violation of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. But it's even worse, especially in its destructiveness to the soul, to worship another God, to worship another person, to worship another thing or idea as the Lord, as if it is the Lord, and thus to be greatly deceived and in actuality worshiping a God's of, one, of one, one's own making. Now, I'm rather confident that none among us has ever fashioned a golden calf or any other idol for that matter. I assume we can all peruse the lumber section at Lowe's without temptation. I've never had someone come to me and say, Father Matt, walking down aisle 25 and I saw these beautiful two by eight cedar planks and... I just started sweating, and I'm like, man, that would make a wonderful-looking God. It's not the literal, physical worship of idols that we struggle with. But as John Calvin said, and this is the only time you'll ever hear me quote Calvin, the human mind is a perpetual forge of idols. The human mind, the human heart is a perpetual forge of idols. So though we as modern people may never construct a literal physical idol, nevertheless, this form of idolatry seen in Exodus 32, which is to worship that which is not God as God, to pay lip service to God, to be consciously worshiping the Lord while in actuality to be worshiping something else. This sort of idolatry is the most dangerous on account of its deceptive power and in our day and age, I would contend, the most common. It is so easy to fashion God into our own likeness. To fashion a God, to call its name Jesus. And Jesus just happens to affirm and endorse everything that we want to be true. It's easy to construct a God in our own minds and hearts with whom we are comfortable. A God that will let us eat, drink, and play, so to speak. A God that will say, you do you. And given the cultural milieu the proliferation of denominations, 
and the ubiquity of the internet and modern life, you can easily find whatever brand of Christianity fits your personal taste. I mean, you can make a golden calf in a matter of moments. And that golden calf can be prosperity. Jesus came, he died, he rose again so that you could have the American dream. You could be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That golden calf could be prosperity. It could be so-called sexual freedom. It could be a political party or theory. It could be social justice. It could be your own temporal happiness. It could be just a general sense of being nice. That's what it is to be a Christian, right? Just to be nice. Just never rock the boat. Get along with everyone. Is that what we see in the Gospels? Love is always kind. But sometimes being loving involves saying and doing things that might not be nice. Whatever it is, it's easy And I say, this is easy for me to do as a priest. We can stuff our ideas of what we think Jesus should be like. Stuff those ideas into a golden calf of our own making. Like a Trojan horse, if you will. And we can proclaim that this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. When in fact it is not. It's a sobering thing to realize that we can cheerfully. The Israelites were having a good time at their feast to the the Lord. Their feast to Yahweh. It's a sobering thing to realize that we can cheerfully and be ostensibly walking with the Lord. But in actuality we're walking away from the Lord on the broad road that leads to destruction. So this is relevant. Exodus chapter 32. May we heed the words of St. Paul. Again, he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. So what do we do? Well, we need, to, we need to watch and pray. We need to be sober and vigilant. We need to be formed by Holy Scripture and allow the Spirit to search our hearts and to bring to light our motives. Because again, and this is just one example, it can be so easy, even in, our, in our, the way that we read Scripture, the way that we read the Bible, to favor a particular reading of the text, not because it's true, not because it's well-attested patristically, but because it's palatable. We have to be willing to allow the Spirit to ask us the difficult questions. Like, are we seeking the truth? 
Are we seeking the Lord or are we seeking a theological and moral justification for a choice that we've already made? For a doxological choice we've already made. The reality is this. Who God is Who God is, and it takes humility to realize this, who God is, is is better than anything you could concoct. He's better than anything you can make him out to be. And if we're willing to let go and to say, God, I I don't want to worship you as conceived in my own limited imagination, as governed by my own bestial desires, but I want to know you as you are. We'll find out that the true God is better than the golden calf. We will taste and see that the Lord is good. So brothers and sisters, let us worship him. Let us worship God as he is, rather than how we would like him to be. Let us worship God as he is revealed in Holy Scripture and as he is revealed supremely in Jesus Christ our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, world without end. Amen.